Please be seated. Good morning. So wonderful to be here together again this morning. We're so very glad to have our members with us, our visitors especially, and those who are joining us online. Thank you so much for your presence this morning. It's wonderful to worship together, to see one another, to fellowship together, and to grow spiritually and encourage one another. Let me ask you something. Do you know someone who believes aliens and Bigfoot exist? Do you, do you have someone in your family or a friend? Fingers are starting to point. They're convinced that there are aliens. Some, the truth is out there, right? As the X-Files said. Or, or that, that Bigfoot is out there. If you can just find the right forest at the right time, you'll see him. And certainly there are some pretty interesting stories that we've probably all heard that make you pause and think, huh, and that leave you wondering, you know. (laughs) But here's the deal. What we all would say is, I'll believe it if what? I can see it. In other words, you show me a little green man in front of me or the big furry Bigfoot right here in front of me, hopefully in a cage, and I'll believe you. You know, all those shows that are on TV where they go and they're going to track down Bigfoot and all that, they, they never actually find him. You know, they'll hear something in the woods and all that, but they never actually find him and catch him on camera. Some have even tried and made fake ones that they've put in, you know, in containers and things like that, but uh, there's, <laughs> there's a whole lot whole lot there, but at the, the bottom line is, I'll believe it when I see it, right? You can believe, you can talk about it all day long, you can tell all the stories, but until I see one with my own eyes, I'm not going to believe it. That's probably the position of most folks. Well, that's what James is saying about Christians and their faith. He said, I'll believe it when I see it. Because, in other words, James is saying, your faith isn't real until it's seen in your life. Okay? And that's what James is focused on. That's what he zeroes in on in our passage today that we're looking at. In James 1, 19 through 27, we'll finish chapter 1. Listen to verses 19 through 21. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear... Slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What James does, he continues to do, is he gives us practical Uh, guidance and teaching on how to live like a Christian. That's why this series is called Do Your Faith, and today we're looking at the the message of live your faith, because James just, he doesn't doesn't waste any words. He He doesn't say a whole lot. He just gets right to it. And he says, here's how you need to live your life. He's practical, down to earth, and sometimes slaps us upside the head because sometimes we need that in our spiritual lives. 
And that's what James sets out to do. He's about action. He believes your faith is about living it, doing it. And I wonder if it's because he was Jesus' brother. And for a long time, he didn't believe until it's, it's believed he was converted when Jesus appeared to him after he was resurrected. Because right after that, as we studied, uh, we see him there in Acts chapter 2 and then as a leader in the Jerusalem church and, and wrote uh, this epistle that he wrote that's action-packed. And so, is he making up for lost time? Is he saying, all this time I didn't believe, I better get to it because I wasted all this time not believing in the Son of God, the Christ, who was my brother. And he says, i got to get to it in my faith. I don't have time to waste. I wonder if that's how he felt. But Paul, uh, James says, these are practical behaviors that all Christians are to practice. You see, we learn early on in life. Maybe it's one of those things that we'd list under everything I need to know in life I learned in kindergarten, where God gave you two ears to what? Listen twice as, and one mouth to listen twice as much as you talk. Right, And that seems to be what James is saying to us. He said, you need to be better listeners than you are. You need to be quick to listen, to care for one another, to listen to what other people are saying, to hear where they're coming from, to understand them. Uh, You know, Stephen Covey wrote years ago, uh, seek first to understand, then to be understood. You can't do that without listening. And then he said, and then he says, be slow to speak. You see, the thing is, is when I take my time and I'm listening to somebody, what am I not doing? I'm not talking. Why? Because I'm listening what, to what they're saying, and I'm not thinking about what I want to say, what I'm trying to interject, because I'm trying to hear what they have to say. I'm hearing their story, their issues, what's going on with them, their questions. And then I'm speaking, and at that point, I can make an informed uh, a response. I can speak with wisdom to the person that I've been listening to. You see, learning to be a good listener is something that we have to practice, that we have to train, that we have to develop. Most people are not, uh, by nature, good listeners. It is a skill that has to be developed. Talking is usually not a skill that we have to work too hard at. We get that pretty easily, uh, saying whatever we think. But then James says that the quick-tempered, selfish Anger that among us, the human, selfish, quick-tempered anger, we're just ready to go off the slightest little thing and we're blowing up our fuses this long and that match is lit right next to it. He said that kind of stuff, that is not what brings about the righteousness of God. That, that, that righteousness, that word, uh, one great way to understand the, the righteousness that we're supposed to live with that James is talking about here is simply right living or right doing. That's what he means. And he says, when you're, when you're uh, not listening to anybody and your mouth is running faster than your, than your feet can run and your fuse is this short and you blow up and, and go off on people, and you're fuming at your ears, said, there's no way the righteousness of God can be demonstrated in your life. says, you've got to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And so when our anger anger heats up and boils over, it makes it impossible 
for us to do the things that God would have us to do. To display our faith, to display God's righteousness, to further His work of righteousness in the world around us. So next James tells us to get rid of, to put away all filthiness. Do you see that word there? And that word oftentimes is referring to clothing. You think, you think of your kids been playing outside and they come in and they're from head to toe, they're filthy because it's kind of muddy outside and they've been playing, they've been sweating and they're just covered. Their clothes are dirty, their shoes are dirty, their ears are dirty on the inside. They're, they're filthy. You don't, you don't even want them coming in the house with what they have on. And that's what that word means. And he's saying you got to get rid of everything that stains or pollutes or, or taints or, 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 or tarnishes or dirties your Christian life. Get rid of the filthy stuff in your life is what he's saying. That can't be around you. That can't be in you. That can't be on you. That can't be a part of your life. Filthiness. And then he's not finished. He says, get rid of all the filthiness and get rid of the rampant wickedness. Now that word wickedness is just a general word for everything bad. That's what he means. He said, in case filthiness left something out, let me just use the word wickedness and that'll cover anything that's left over. It's like he's making sure you understand. Get rid of all of it. But notice he didn't say just wickedness. He said what? Rampant wickedness. In other words, excess, uh, overrun, overflowing wickedness. So he's saying, and these are people that fleed persecution, new Christians that they had to flee persecution uh, uh, because uh, of what happened in Acts chapter 7 and Acts chapter 8. And so they're, they're, they're faithful to God. They believe in Jesus. And James is saying, you got to get rid of wickedness and filthiness in your life. Any of you ever grown something in a garden? You've tried to grow. I say tried. Maybe you just tried. You tried your best. Maybe some of you have done well and you've grown things. Maybe a big garden. Maybe something small. But you grew something. Well, whether you're just mowing grass in your yard or whether you're trying to grow something in your garden, you've had to deal with weeds in your yard or in your garden, haven't you? And, and that's, that's what James is getting at. This kind of can make us think about the parable of the sower and the soils, remember? And the different soils and, and there was weeds and there was rocky and there's different things like that. James is very aware of Jesus' teachings, okay? He paid attention. He remembers the things that Jesus taught. And so the idea of weeds, he's saying, look... The weeds are going to come up in your life, in the sin, weeds of sin, they're going to be all over. But just like anybody who's truly trying to take care of their garden and keep the weeds out, somebody who's trying to fight off the weeds in their yard, they're going to address it often, daily, they're going to be on the weeds. And he's saying, look, you've got weeds of sinfulness that are just sprouting up abundantly in your life. You can't just take care of that once a week or once a month. You've got to be out there tending to that every day. You've got to tend to the weeds of sinfulness, the weeds of wickedness in your life. 
And like that gardener takes their, their, their trowel or their, their different tools and they go in there and they get down deep. They don't just tear the leaf off, the, the weed off at the top because they know there's more down in there. And they dig deep to get that weed out of there. They want the weed totally removed so that all the good stuff can flourish, right? And James is saying, get rid of all of it in your life. Now, what are we supposed to, what we're supposed to do, then he says, is to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. So he gives us, instead of letting the weeds of wickedness run wild in your garden, in your life, you need to get rid of them, and here's what you need to do. You need to receive with meekness that implanted word that's in you, that's able to save your soul. So he says, receive with meekness the implanted word. What does that mean? Well, they're already Christians, so they already have the word in them. The seed is the word of God, Jesus said. They've already got it in them. But guess what? He's saying you've got to get rid of those weeds, and you've got to clear out the bad stuff, and you've got to receive with meekness the word of God. You ever heard something in the Bible, read something in the Bible, and you said, ooh, I don't like that. That's too personal. I, I don't agree with it. That's not the way I would have written it. That's not the way I would have commanded it. You see, there might be things that the Word of God deals with us when it comes to our attitude. He's, gonna, he, he's talking about with meekness, humbly accept the Word of God. And you, have, you just have to decide... I might be wrong here. I might need to change. I need to get rid of that in my life. I've been ignoring it. I've been acting like it's okay. I've been justifying and rationalizing that, that sin in my life, that filthiness, that wickedness in my life. And I've got to receive with meekness the Word of God that tells me, get rid of that in your life. That's wrong. And you're wrong for having that. And then when I do that, when I humble myself before the Lord, when I receive with meekness the Word, and I let the Word tell me how I'm supposed to live, what my life is supposed to look like, then what happens? Then I've made, I've made my soil, the soil of my heart, good and, and, and for, so that the, the Word of God can take root and grow deep roots in my life so that it can grow and flourish. And you know what a healthy garden does and a healthy yard does? It helps squeeze out and kill out the weeds. Is that right, Steve? Stephen? That it, but now you still have to be on top of them. You still have to be watching for them. You still have to be addressing them. And so we have to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save our souls. You see... We're saved when we put on Christ in baptism. When we turn to, to Him in faith, we obey the gospel, we become Christians in the watery grave of baptism, and we're raised to walk in newness of life. But God continues to sanctify or to save us, to, to, to conform us into the image and likeness of Christ all the way up until Jesus returns to take us home. And so there's this continual saving, cleansing, growing, maturing, sanctifying process that's happening, supposed to be happening in our lives. And we can call that spiritual growth, where God continues to do His work in us until He returns to take us home. And we've got to surrender ourselves to make sure that that happens, to let God do what He wants to do in our lives. In verse 18, we looked at last week, we're... James said that 
the, through the word that God brought us forth through the word of truth. And, and we, we're, we looked at how that is referencing that new birth in Christ, baptism, becoming a Christian, the new life in Christ. And we see him use these uh, birthing metaphors in the previous passages we looked at last week. And so through the word God has brought us forth, we've been given this new birth into Christ. And it is from the word that we are continual, that we continue in our salvation, continue to walk in the light as he is in the light, right? And continue to let his word have an effect on our lives to flourish and grow in our lives. Now look at verses 22 through 25. James writes, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. See, again, James just shoots straight with us. He's not playing. He said, there's no room for gray area. This is black and white. You either live out your faith or you don't. You either live according to the word or you don't. You're all in or you're not. That's what he's telling us. He's drawing a line in the sand. He said, you're on this team or you're on that team. And I think we need to hear that often in our spiritual lives because it helps us take our faith more seriously. It helps us to say, you know what? I can't just do this back and forth. I can't just kind of kind of ride the fence and try to be in both worlds. He said, I got to make a decision. Choose you this day whom you will serve, the Old Testament says, right? And so James calls us to make the decision to choose what team are you on. And he said, you have to be a doer of the word. See, being doers of the word is the only proper response to the word of God. In Acts chapter 2, when they heard the word of God, they heard the gospel of Jesus, the only proper response is what we see there recorded. Men and brethren, what shall we do? They knew it called them to do something, to respond, to react to the word of God, the message of the gospel. The same is true for the whole word of God, the whole counsel of God. It calls us to live this out. He said, when you only hear it, and you just come and you, 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 you punch the clock and you just come and all you do is hear in one ear, out the other. He said you're deceived because you think you're fine in your faith. You think everything's good with God because, hey, I was there. I heard it. And he's saying you're tricked, you're deceived, you're fooled because that's not how the Christian life works. If you can't see it, if it can't be seen, it's not real. That's what he's telling us. So, in other words, if a person were to look at themselves in a mirror, if you were to go look at yourself in a mirror and turn away and start walking off 
and immediately you forgot what you looked like. Now, I know a lot of us would like to forget what we look like. I realize that. We wish we could forget what we look like. But we look at ourselves in the mirror and then turn around and walk off and people wonder, do you not have a brush? Do you not, you know, why, what happened to your lipstick? You know, they say, did you not look in the mirror? Well, I forgot what I looked like. I didn't realize I had that on my face. You see, he's saying, as much as that doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense for a Christian to look at the Word of God and walk away and just say, yeah, I'm good. I heard it. He's saying, you have to walk away and remember it and put it into action. That's what James wants us to understand by using these simple metaphors. He says the same is true for the person who only hears the Word of God and does nothing with it in their lives. The Word of God is supposed to have consequences in our life. It's supposed to make a difference. It's supposed to change our lives. It's supposed to mean that we live differently in our lives. And hearing the Word without action is self-deception. That's what James tells us. And so he says you have a choice. You can, you can deceive yourself and believe what you want to believe, despite what the Bible says, verse 22. You can be deceived by just hearing the word and walking off and living your life, and it has no impact on your life, and no one can look at you and say, yeah, I believe your faith is real. It's not demonstrated in your life, and you're deceived. Or, according to like we see in verse 25, you can be blessed by God. So you can, be, you can deceive yourself verse 22, or you can be blessed by God, verse 25. Look at verse 25 again. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and he's just using other, other ways of describing the word of God, the truth, word of truth, uh, being a he, no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be what? Blessed in his doing. He will be blessed in his doing. That sounds like the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus started the Beatitudes with, He will be blessed. And He ended the Beatitudes with, he, Blessed is He who does these things. And James seems to echo the, the same thing Jesus is saying, His brother saying, You'll be blessed when you live according to the Word of God. Blessed in your doing the things that you set forth to do for God. Maybe James was also thinking of the parable of the wise and the foolish builder in Matthew chapter 7, where he said, Everyone then, Jesus says, who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Children, y'all remember that song and that story that you learn in Bible class? Verse 25, the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it the blessing of the wise builder was that his house was built on the word of God he was a doer of the Word of God. And by doing the Word of God, living your faith, it helps you withstand the storms of life that come your way. 
Because you've heard the old saying, you're either about to go into a storm, going through a storm, or just came out of one, right? Either way, the storms are coming. And how is your house going to withstand? And James is telling us, the one who lives out their faith, according to the Word of God, is the one who's blessed in their doing. Their house stands no matter what comes their way. Finally, James concludes his thought here with some sharp words that leave no room for misunderstanding. He says in verses 26 and 27, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. That seems too strong, but he keeps going. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He just makes it real plain for us. He just lets us know, look, here's what you need to understand about living your faith, about being a Christian, is it has to be seen and people will believe it when they see it. We can't claim we're a Christian and just listen to the Word of God. We have to live the Word of God. You see, Christianity was never intended to be merely something we just believe up here, some, uh, 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 you know, a collection of knowledge and tidbits about the Bible and, and, and history. That's never been what Christianity was supposed to be. It's always been something that we're supposed to live out in our lives. And Jesus showed us that in the whole Sermon on the Mount, didn't he? It was all about living out your faith. And so religion that God approves is what? Behavioral. In other words, it's seen, it's demonstrated. We have to live it out in our lives. Now, he's not saying that you earn your way to heaven. Not in any way. He's saying you do this because of your salvation. Because you've been saved. Because you believe the word. You can't help but live it out. Because you're not deceived and just sit back and hear. And he says these three things. He gets real practical and he says, look, here's what faith in Jesus looks like. This is what James tells us. Control your tongue. You, the way you speak is an important ingredient in your religious life. The way you talk. And boy, have we all blown it many, many, many times. And we need James to tell us, look, you need to control your tongue. He's going to talk about In fact, he's, it's so important he's going to talk about it again soon, isn't he? And he's going to talk about how it's such a little thing. And yet you can lose your salvation over your words, your tongue running rampant. He says, control your tongue. And then he says, visit and care for those in need, like the widows and the orphans. Care about the needs of those who are hurting, less fortunate. Care about other people. Look after them. Watch out for them. Be there for them. He said, you've got to care about others, especially those who are less fortunate. Because now religion, our faith, has a private dimension, doesn't it? But it also has a public dimension. In other words, you you have to live this out in public, in in a community, in your neighborhood, in your home. And then finally, he says, keep yourself from being polluted, contaminated, stained, tarnished, dirtied, filthied by the world. Keep yourself pure. 
Don't let that stuff in your life. You say, I can handle a little bit of it. The Bible doesn't, doesn't say so. There's not like a whole chapter on this one thing that I like. Why would you let that in your life? It's not furthering the righteousness of God, and yet you're letting that come in your life, into your home, risking what it might do to you, to your family, to your neighbor, to your, your witness, to your, the faith that others see in you, that they should see in you. Why would you let pollution in your home? Again, the weeds that we have to fight against every day. In Matthew 25... Do you remember when Jesus was talking about the final judgment? And do you remember what all he said? He immediately goes into uh, telling us what it's going to look like. He says he's going to gather all nations before him. And he's going to separate people on his right. And he calls them sheep and people on the left. And they're called goats is what he calls them. And he says to the sheep that come You're welcome into your eternal home, your heavenly home. My Father welcomes you because when there were needs, you took care of those needs. Listen to verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer to them, truly, I say to you, As you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And what did he say to those on his left? He said, depart from me. You've got a different eternal home that you're going to live in. Because you never did any of this for me. And then they're like, well, we never saw you with those needs. And he said, yeah, you did. When all the least of these had needs to be cared for and you didn't care. You didn't do anything. You didn't do anything with your faith. It was all up here and not out here. You don't have a home in heaven. So are James and Jesus diminishing belief and doctrine, right belief, right teaching? Are they saying that doesn't matter? No. They're saying you can have all the right beliefs all day long. You can have all your doctrine as correct and accurate as possible. You can be sound in the doctrine. And yet if you're not living out your faith, it doesn't matter. That's what they're saying. That ultimately we're judged by how we lived out our faith. Yes, our beliefs matter. Yes, understanding the sound words of God. But then I would say, how can you be sound if you're not living out your faith? So churches that say, well, we just preach the truth and they don't do anything for anybody, they're not sound because that's what you're supposed to be doing is living out your faith. That's what it means to be sound, to understand the word of God and to live it out. You want sound doctrine, that's what sound doctrine is. To live out the sound, wholesome words of God. So I want to ask you, can your faith be seen? Can your faith be seen? That's that's the test James gives us. 
I said, you got to deal with this stuff on the inside in your faith and let the word flourish in you and, and, and understand the word. Remember, the word is in you, so your beliefs matter. The word of God matters, absolutely. But you've got to let, not, not, not to be seen as a show, but to live it out because you serve God, the God who saved you through His Son, Jesus Christ. And you say, I can't help but live out my faith. I can't help but serve somebody. I can't help but tell somebody else about Jesus to care for them when they're down, to, to study with them, to talk to them, to bring up faith, to invite them to church, whatever it might be. I can't help it because I want to live out my faith because of what God did for me. Is that your life? Maybe you need prayers to help you be more bold and courageous in your faith. To, to, maybe that's how you used to be and you've, you've kind of not been that way in a while. Or maybe you're, you're saying, I, I, I believe this stuff. How do I start living it? I, I, I'm not even a Christian yet. How do I become a Christian? And the Bible would show us that when you hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and you believe it, you're pricked in your heart and you believe it, then you want to turn from the ways you've been living, that filthiness, that wickedness, whatever it is, you want to turn from that and live for God. And then you want to confess Him as your Lord and Savior because you get it. You understand He saved you from your sins. And then the Bible teaches us time and time and time again, over and over throughout Scripture, that we're united with Christ in baptism. And it's in baptism where our sins are forgiven, where we're united with Christ. Our sins are washed away. We're given the gift of the Holy Spirit, sealed with the promise, and given eternal life, salvation in Christ. We're raised to walk in newness of life. We're a new creation. And we live that new life in a faith that people can see because it matters to us, because our hearts are always pricked because of what Jesus did for us. If we can help you this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.